Hi folks, welcome to the Physionic Podcast. Uh, if you're just listening to this, you know about the changes in format that I implemented maybe two, three episodes ago. And uh, at least from my side, it seems like that's the right way to go. Um, but something that I wanted to add was I, I've had this kind of fancy 4K camera for a long time and uh, it's a camcorder so it, it, it lasts much longer than my standard camera that I use for, for all my videos. And it's just been sitting there collecting dust. I had this like grand plan of like uh, interviewing researchers and all this other stuff uh, for the podcast. But uh, to be honest, I, I mean, there's just that, that was going to take so much work uh, and I'm, already just absolutely up to my limit uh if you if you can imagine a car's rev limiter i'm in the red uh, or maybe just teetering between the the still okay and uh, red so i decided to scrap that idea for the time being although it's a prime opportunity considering i'm in a city with uh, many universities and i go to a top university with hundreds of researchers here uh, and I had actually contacted a few of them and they were on board for for being interviewed about their research but uh, yeah it's it's just too much too much for me to handle I you know it's it's a one-man operation here so uh, until I can actually hire people to to help me uh, do some of this stuff then uh, it's gonna have to be on the back burner but anyway uh, the point is that I had this camera and I thought to myself, Nick, you might as well just record yourself. You, I mean, the the way I've been reimagining the podcast has been has been far less structured than how I wanted it initially. You know, for I've, the Physionic podcast has been around for multiple years, and I fell off for about a year where I didn't do it. Um, I think mainly because it didn't work. It just wasn't growing. It wasn't uh, doing much. I wasn't that into it. And also I was, uh, I, as I said, I went through a period of just being overwhelmed. So I ended up dropping off on Instagram and, um, and the podcast. But I stuck to YouTube. YouTube has been uh, the, the bread and butter. So I've been, uh, been consistently releasing on there. So now, however, I've created this new format of the podcast that's a lot more relaxed. Uh, it's, it's completely unedited, so I don't have to sit there and put in inserts and graphics and all that good stuff. And it's, yeah, it's more relaxed. I, I tend to have this personality of being extremely regimented disciplined everything has to be exactly right uh, I have to make sure the graphics look nice that they look presentable that they look clear and all this stuff and hopefully that's reflected in my videos I've gotten a few comments of people saying that my editing has improved and I would sure hope so after eight years uh, but now I've been breaking a little bit more out of my shell and with this podcast it's been I've been thinking about what podcasts really are, and they, they really are just 
they're not even necessarily a conversation. I even think that a lot of the podcasts that I, some of the podcasts I listen to are really loose and then other podcasts are more structured as in like, it's just interviews. And I love both those formats, but, um, I don't have a place where I can be just relaxed, where I can not have to worry about the timing of things or get to the point or make sure this is succinct. Uh, And I don't think that's what the original idea of a podcast was. I don't think, I think the appeal of a podcast is that it's, it doesn't have brevity. It's, it's extremely extended. It doesn't, um, I mean, I'm not saying that a person should just, should just talk and talk and talk about nothing. I mean, well, maybe, maybe, I mean, who knows? I, who am I to define what a podcast should be? But in my mind, I just think that a, a podcast can be a lot less structured and can let me kind of express, I don't know, maybe even more personal notions uh, to discuss science, certainly. I mean, that's still what we're going to be doing, and I'm going to be covering in, in this podcast episode, I'm going to be covering uh, how plastics and phthalates affect our uh, insulin resistance. And if you're all, you are on the YouTube channel, if you're on the, the, the video format, you've seen some of this content already uh, because... This is me just kind of putting together all the studies into one lengthy video. Uh, so I am still going to be discussing uh, studies or you know the, the science as a whole. But uh, when, I, when I was doing the podcast before, one of the problems that I kept encountering, and you could definitely look back at the videos, uh, one of the problems that I was encountering was the fact that I would continuously say, oh, I'm sorry for the podcast listeners. You can't see this, but this is, uh, I, I, you know, I'm describing this situation or I'm showing some data on or whatever it might be. That just, that format just doesn't work because it completely alienates people that are, that are just listening. And then they feel like, I, I imagine that they feel like they're not, uh, they're not, they're being left behind. So with Physionic now, my strategy has been to release these really short, so three buckets essentially. One, to, to have really short form videos, which are the series that, uh, that seem to be working absolutely incredibly well. And I am so pumped about that. And I can see that in my metrics, uh, that the way I'm doing the videos now has been, has been really working. Um, so I'm, of course, going to continue doing that. And then the other thing is, uh, then I know that there's people, and there's me, I am people, <laughs> that, uh, that want a more nitty-gritty understanding of the details. So I still cover the studies in, in, in depth. Uh, and when I, when I do that, then I release the, uh, the detailed study analyses. But then... I was thinking to myself, well, I can't do study analyses for the podcast unless I sit there and describe all the bar graphs and talk about boring and just a massive waste of time. Uh, so I thought, why not just wait until I've done all the research, uh, where I've read all the research, come to you know a, a natural 
stopping point where we have some takeaways, some some conclusions, some some takeaways, and then why don't I just throw that onto the podcast uh, so that you know the people that have watched the videos they've you know they've already heard it. Uh, the podcast listeners may be people that are busy and just can't watch the videos. Uh, and then on top of that, I wanted to throw in this element of just relax. Like, don't sit there and try to get every video, every uh, every element of the video to look pristine or to look exactly right. And uh, just give yourself the breathing room to, to be a little bit more human. And speaking to that, uh, I had a really great comment from someone uh, just a couple days ago, well, this po- at the point of this recording, a couple days ago. Oh, I guess before I get into that, the whole, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but the point is, so I decided to do a video, uh, a video version of this podcast. And so if, you're, if I got things to work, which is kind of a, a rinky-dink setup, uh, but if I got things to work, then the, 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 uh, there's a video version that some people are watching. And uh, if you're listening, then you may be confused as to why I'm explaining all this stuff, uh, because you've heard some of this stuff before when I decided to, to revamp things. Anyway, now, the, the, point, the next point that I wanted to get into was I got a, a really great comment from someone that taught me something that I had never really considered. Uh, so I recently released a video on uh, reversing the pancreatic damage that occurs with diabetes, uh, type 1 and type 2. You'll have to excuse me as I have some coffee because I haven't had my coffee yet today. And for anyone wondering why I'm using a straw, a metal straw, uh, from the video podcast, it's because I'm trying to avoid staining my teeth, which are already not the whitest in the world. So I've been trying to mitigate further staining by, uh, by using a straw. Um, and I also try to use it for other things as well. All right. So. Yeah, so this comment was about this video that I released uh, on type 1 and type 2 diabetes affecting pancreatic health, leading to destruction of the beta cells, which are the cells that end up secreting insulin. And this was uh, sent to me by somebody in the Physionic Insiders. Uh, you're going to hear a lot about the Physionic Insiders over uh, the a long while, because I'm really trying to push this uh this community because I'd really love to um, have a separate section of physionic that that is more uh, exclusive and and uh, you know fosters uh, discussion and things like that. But anyway, I'm not going to talk about it right now. And this person brought up that or James. I'll, I'll go ahead and say your name because it was uh, public. Um, James sent me this this comment and I was because I had covered this paper for one of the physionic insiders and he had mentioned that it, it would be helpful if I when I'm describing things that I describe things vocally in more detail 
because diabetics, especially, and I know I know this from like an educational standpoint, a, a literature standpoint, a inter, yeah, an intellectual standpoint. I understood. I knew that this was the case that people with diabetes, specifically really progressive type two diabetes, uh, but certainly other types of diabetes as well, can have uh, what are known as retinopathies, where their eyes no longer work uh, as well, or they actually can go blind. Um, so, and this is obviously an advanced stage, but, or from, from long-term uh, diabetes in general. And he mentioned that <clears throat> it would be helpful if I were to describe things so that people with diabetes, especially on topics of diabetes, that they don't have to rely on their eyes and they can just uh, listen. And, you know, I got to admit that was pretty profound to me. Uh, I had never considered it. It was, it was, again, it was just such an intellectual understanding of like, oh, I know this exists. But when he mentioned it and said that you should implement that, you should actually do something about that, uh, that was, uh, you know, that was a moment where I genuinely felt like I learned something uh, from somebody that, that has more experience uh, than, than I do. So uh, I'm really thankful for that. And uh, that's kind of what I want to do with the podcast as well, uh, to offer more of, you know, descriptions of things so that people can still feel like they're getting an education and so that everything is congruent, you know. I, the, again, the podcast isn't for those individuals that have already seen all the videos. Uh, if that's the case, then, you know, you're not going to get much else out of this podcast other than maybe some stories that I'll tell or, you know, things like that. So anyway, I thought, uh, I thought that was a really cool example of just because I know the information doesn't mean that I'm great at implementing that, that inf information and, and getting reminders from people like you, uh, gives me great feedback in how I can improve my teaching style, uh, which is just unbelievably important to me. Okay. <clears throat> that said, uh, I'm actually not going to jump into the science quite yet. I wanted to discuss two more things. I've got my notes right here. If you're on my phone, also, I have my computer open if I need to pop open the studies that I'm going to be discussing. Uh, yeah, so another thing I wanted to talk about, which is more personal, is uh, I went to I went to the doctor last week, which I suppose that kind of feeds feeds more into the hypocrisy of me. Um, but I, I released a video maybe what, th four weeks ago, a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago, where the title was like, I am a hypocrite. And it was supposed to be pretty, you know, like gut wrenching and all this stuff. And then talking about how I cover all these, you know, all the science and whatnot. But make no mistake, I am a hypocrite. Uh, it's because it's true. I don't follow all the, uh, 
just because I cover science doesn't, you know, covers particular studies and, and, and it shows like, oh, there's all, th this is beneficial for your health and whatnot. That doesn't mean that I'm going to end up changing my lifestyle towards that. Uh, it just means that I'm covering it and now I'm aware and I can talk about it, but that doesn't mean that I'm actually going to change it. And for certain things, I do change them because they're either easy uh, or they are just things that I I feel like uh, they're, they're things that are in line with, they, they wouldn't create massive resistance in my life. Uh, so I can, I can overcome the barriers. Um, and one of the examples was like, you know, we covered some studies on carbohydrates and their effect on metabolism, reducing metabolism. You know, I, I don't even, I'm not even fully convinced just because it's only one or two studies out of, uh, a lot of other studies that I still need to look at that say the opposite. So, you know, I'm, I'm still on the fence about that, um, but ultimately, like, you know, if it reduces my metabolism by some percentage, am I going to change my, am I going to stop eating carbohydrates? Probably not. I, I really enjoy carbohydrates. So bottom line is I'm just going to keep eating them. Um, uh, unless they get in the way of my goals, which then if those have a higher priority than my taste for carbohydrates, then fa fair enough, then I'll change. Um, but the point is that I don't want to be dogmatic about these different things um, just because I, I read the research and I know the information doesn't mean that I suddenly want to start saying, oh, you have to do that. And that's actually part of the problem with, I think that I have, I, it's actually a huge problem that I have. I, if I can be completely honest with you, it's a huge problem that I have with channels and brands that are like keto, uh, keto Kim or or uh, avocado gym or you know whatever <laughs> I'm just I'm making things up uh, I don't you know it's it's fine to, to to have those names and it's fine to to cover those topics but the problem is what if there's research that ends up like I know from so much experience reading research that just because keto is fantastic, I'm just using keto as an example, just because keto is fantastic for one thing doesn't mean that keto is great for something else, that it's just the best thing ever across the board. And I think the problem with names like that, if you identify with something like that, that's so specific, then that means that you're biased. That almost, that almost invariably ends up leading you to this extreme bias of, I'm only going to cover things keto, which is cool. I'm not saying the bias is necessarily negative, but if you start ignoring, if you start reporting on research that's only uh, pro-keto in that situation, then your bias is negative. You're actually, you're effectively misleading people. So I've, I've, that's why physionic, I, I love that name because uh, it's physiology. It's just learning. That's all it is. And I will change my opinions based on, on the research and I will be happy to change my opinion because I just don't, I don't have, what's the expression? A dog in the fight, which seems a little gruesome, but 
Yeah. So, so ultimately going back full circle to the hypocrite thing, you know, I am a hypocrite. Like if, 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 and, and, or maybe, maybe I wouldn't call it a hypocrite. Maybe I'm being exaggerating a little bit because uh, for the video title, for the YouTubes, but, uh, I definitely don't follow everything that I scientifically preach not personally preach because you're not going to hear me say oh you have to do this or if you are vegan you are or if you're keto you're immediately a, in the worst position ever for everything it's 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 not zealotry so maybe i'm not exactly a hypocrite but the point is that i'm just always trying to get across this idea that just because i report on things does not mean that I'm suddenly that you can you can then now expect me to change on that front like oh saturated fat are bad for you therefore I never eat saturated fats no I eat saturated fats all the time because they taste great uh, <laughs> so yeah so so going back to this doctor's appointment uh, as you can see I'm definitely going all over the place uh, I like how I, I, I mentioned that maybe uh, podcasts should, shouldn't be talking about nothing, and here I am just going all over the place. Good thing I've got notes. So, yeah, I went to the doctor's office, and the reason why I'm, I'm mentioning this hypocrite thing is because I, I haven't been to the doctor since 2016. I mean, I, I went to the doctor in 2018 just for, uh, for like shots and stuff like that, uh, just for when I was entering into medical school, um, but for for my PhD. But uh, I haven't been since, and there's there's good data. Not that it's really my field, but uh, I have heard much of the data on uh, men specifically not going to the doctor for fear of the doctor or for because uh, they don't, I don't know, they, for, there's, there's all kinds of different reasons that I can't re recollect right now uh, for why men don't go to the doctor. And I'm not saying I have a fear of the doctor or anything like that. I, I, you know, I, I'm actually pretty fascinated by going to the doctor's office. But I do hold things off because I am just unbelievably busy. Um, and sometimes I don't prioritize my health. Uh, I prioritize my health in a physical sense, as in like I exercise a lot. I, uh, I do control my nutrition, even if I do eat the saturated fats and all that stuff. I mean, for the most part, I, you know, I take care of myself and I do, I did, I would order blood work for myself just so I could look it over. Um, but in terms of me actually going to the doctor and having things checked out, getting a physical, things like that. Nah. Um, so, but I, I had this, the, a number of issues, a number of health issues that were, that were, or potential health issues that I needed to get checked out. So I, I just, uh, decided to go and just have that all, all taken care of in, in one go. And can I say that this is <laughs> that now every year I'm going to go to the doctor to get checked. Uh, I can't say that. I honestly can't. Um, but I think, uh, I think during my time there, it made me realize that I do appreciate 
just knowing or having some greater confidence beyond just my own knowledge that I am healthy, that everything is fine. So that said, I, one of the reasons why I went to the doctor, I'll tell you one of them, uh, is because I thought that I had high blood pressure, which was very odd to me. I, I, was, I was thrown off by that, but I had started, uh, I'd taken blood pressure readings of myself just kind of sporadically here and there. And they were always high. I'm talking pretty high. I'm talking like 140, sometimes even 150 as a systolic, which I was just like stunned by because again, you know, I keep myself really fit and all this stuff. And I thought, okay, well, there's something, something's going on here. Like, and so during my master's program, we were taught how to take blood pressure and this is going to be pertinent to you. So, uh, if, if you go to the doctor's office or if you just get blood pressure taken in general. And so I started to think like a scientist and this is where I was going with this. Uh, I started to think, okay, Nick, let's, let's standardize this. So you're just sporadically, when you measure your blood pressure, you have really high blood pressure. Yet nothing you do really should be causing this high of blood pressure. If it were slightly elevated, maybe I could change a few things. Although I don't, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be a whole lot that I could change, but there might maybe a few things that I could change. Okay. Fair enough. So I started standardizing it. So in the morning, I would sit right here on this couch uh, and I would sit here for three to five minutes and do nothing. Absolutely nothing. I wouldn't look at my phone. I would do nothing. And I would have this, uh, my hand, my, my arms raised, elevated. So I would have multiple pillows stacked up, put my arm uh, on the pillow so they'd be resting because that's important. Your, your uh, arm should be uh, around your chest level when you're taking a blood pressure reading you should not be contracting your muscles so you shouldn't be actually self-raising it uh, you should have somebody else holding it up or uh, you know like pillows stacked up so it's resting and I, I was taking then I would take measurements and I would take three measures after three to five minutes of just sitting there and this is also before caffeine, so before uh, consuming my coffee. And then I would measure my blood pressure three times. And I did this for a number of weeks uh, every morning. And then I would average the blood pressures all together. And then I, <laughs> I did statistics on, on the blood pressures. Oh, that wasn't really necessary, but I, you know, I just... I love statistics in terms of like just as a as a kind of a a, a side gig like a side uh, interest kind of like a hobby that's forced upon me by research. But I I'd really this is the one type of math one math that I really like, which is statistics. Um, so anyway, I I compiled all this data on myself over just a few weeks. And when I went to the doctor's office, they took my blood pressure and it was high. It was high. I had high blood pressure according to their measure. Okay. Uh, 
but the problem is I went and this is this is the part that I think people need to know is that when you go to the doctor's office sure there's white coat syndrome where people feel anxious or they feel like they're in a new environment they're around their doctor they oh, oh my god you know they start feeling this anxiety they start feeling uh, stressed that their blood pressure then increases fair enough but I went into the doctor's office and they, they just like immediately sat me down like right when I got there didn't wait the five minutes which is a standard protocol they didn't hold my arm up I was lifting my own arm up as they were doing the the blood pressure reading and it was just slightly elevated from from that from this like completely non-optimal reading and they did it one more time because they had to and they said oh it was slightly improved the second time which was literally 15 seconds after the first one which is just another complete it's completely against standard protocol and then when the doctor came in she was like yeah i mean you, you seem to have high blood pressure what's you know what what do you think is going on there and i just like i took my data that i had <laughs> i just showed it to her i was like i disagree and i showed her like uh, I don't have high blood pressure. And from all the readings, sure, there were a few few single measurements that were high, like in the 130s. But every other measure was in like 118, 116, or 124. I'm talking about systolic blood pressure. And diastolic was under the, the, the cutoff, like by a sizable amount in the 60s, continuously, never went above that. And then she looked at it and she was like, yeah, you're, uh, you, you truly are a scientist. And then was just like, yep, okay, I'm convinced I, you don't have high blood pressure. But without that knowledge, without that in my head of like, okay, let's systematically deal with this. This would, I mean, anyone else would go into the doctor's office, have this experience and come out and just be like stunned, like, oh my, I have high blood pressure. I have, now I, oh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a damper on their day. It's a damper on the, potentially their life. They start worrying about everything that they consume. I mean, if they are worried about that kind of stuff. So it's just this weird situation where a protocol that just is not being followed and even if it is is followed it's only one measurement uh what what can you really take away from that uh so anyway the i guess the overall point is that having a better education on how to interpret some of this this data and some of this uh your your health metrics and whatnot is just vital to to calming yourself down and to, to answer if you have the question of why was my blood pressure in like 140s and 150s on like these isolated times, I really think it has to do with stress. I, you know, I was massively stressed uh, during those times. Uh, and I have many of those moments throughout, you know, almost every single day just because I have so much on my plate. Um, but by and large, overall, my blood pressure is definitely normal. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, how if you go to the doctor's office, then you get this reading and then it just like ruins your day and ruins your life. Uh, when in reality, having a far more systematic approach 
uh, can give you the real value, the, the real, the reality of what your body's really going through uh, in, in a standardized condition. So it's something to consider. Uh, and I thought about potentially creating a guide uh, to, to help people just so that they can do it themselves. I mean, it literally cost me, what, uh, 20 bucks to get one of those blood pressure cuff readings uh, machines. And uh, then from there, I just did uh, some basic math and got my results. And that was, once I saw the results, oh, I, I was like, I don't really, really care what the doctor says. I know, I know, I know that I have far more data on my side that says I do not have high blood pressure compared to the few instances where I, that would indicate that I have high blood pressure. So it was, uh, it's a freeing experience to be able to take your health into your own hands. But I will add a caveat because I think a lot of people love to, I think people that don't know how to interpret their health will take measurements willy-nilly or even if they feel like it's a standardized procedure and then they just dismiss what their doctor has to say. I'm not saying you should dismiss what your doctor says. They're incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, and I, I was thankful to go there because, you know, for, for other things as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't feel that you should ever dismiss your, your doctor uh, because they do know a lot of information, but they're, always, they're not always right. And sometimes they're fed incorrect information because the person that was taking my blood pressure uh, was someone different from the doctor herself. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's just important. Obviously, going back to the hypocrite thing, of course, it's important that a person that values medicine and is in medicine and whatnot would go to the doctor. But again, I'm just speaking as a human being. It's, it's not like the things that I talk about Unless I say, I do this, and then it turns out that I don't do that, that's a hypocrite. That's a person who's just straight up lying. But it does seem odd that a person that's in medicine, as getting their PhD in medicine, that is so fascinated by the human body, would also fall in this camp of not going to the doctor that often. but it has nothing to do against doctors or anything like that. It just has to do with sheer, I wouldn't call it laziness. I would just call it like, I just don't have time for that. Uh, and I'm doing everything I possibly can to, or not everything, but a lot of things to, to maintain my health. And I do keep my own lid. I keep my eye on my health. And that's what got me to this idea of going to the doctor for the high blood pressure, for example. Although, I, it, you know, ultimately once I took the, all the measurements, I thought to myself, well, okay, for that reason, I definitely don't need to go. Um, but anyway, I digress. All right. So that was a lot. Uh, that was a lot of personal stuff. Yeah. I was going to cover something else, but well, sure. Why not? I mean, it's, it's a podcast. I don't need to limit this necessarily. Okay. So in my notes, I've got something about I don't think people understand how science works. <laughs> this is um, a lot of a lot of big impact points that you may not feel that way, but in my mind, these are incredibly important 
aspects that should not be ignored. Okay, so I don't think people understand how science works. And I mean that from more of like a statistical standpoint. I released a video back in 2020 when I was, uh, uh, this was obviously during the whole situation. Um, I, was tr I was scrounging to try to come up with some, some topics to discuss. And I stumbled across this idea that had been bothering me for a while. And I thought I did a pretty decent job of explaining a scenario that would make this concept understandable to people. But of course, it was, it was an idea that I find unbelievably important. But it's not like people that watched the video or it wasn't going to attract a lot of attention. It wasn't going to attract like people that should be watching the, the this content uh, were not going to watch it because it's not like five steps to build 20 pounds of muscle. It wasn't anything like that. It was literally just, I think the title was something like, uh, why science is why you're right and why science is as well or something like that or why you're wrong and why science is as well uh, something along those lines and it was trying to bridge this gap between anecdote or your experience and science science being the statistical weight of measurements for a health outcome let's take high blood pressure so high blood pressure, you take all these different measures for high blood pressure from, let's say, 100 different people, and then you average those, all the numbers that you got, you average those into uh, one number, okay? But the problem is, like, when I report on this kind of stuff, people immediately try to apply that to their personal situation and then they reject the outcome of the study because that didn't apply to them like I th the example that i used in the video was uh, eating bananas will i think it was like eating bananas will save your life or say yeah will stop you from having heart attacks or something or well it's good for heart health i think it was a general thing like that and then all the statistics bear out that bananas are helpful for heart health. This is not, a, I don't know. I, I'm not saying bananas are helpful for heart health. This is just a scenario. And then you find out that your grandmother died of a heart attack and she would eat bananas all the time or that she was, she was found with a banana in her mouth as she died from a heart attack, you know, something like that. And that's such a, that's such a, a, a single situation that people would of course say, look, this isn't true because of my experience. And that's not how science works. Science is giving you an average. It's, it's not saying that your experience is invalid. It is saying your experience is valid, but there are two problems 
that you need to address before you can say that this doesn't apply. For example, like you would need to consider all the context. You need to apply all the variables, the confounding variables, all the different factors that could have led to this result of your grandmother dying. It's possible that your grandmother had a genetic anomaly that is not considered in this study. Like if this study is in healthy individuals that are non-overweight, uh, non-hypertensive, whatever, you know, th that kind of scenario, th th that's a different subset of people. That's a different sample of people. Those, they would, ex they would specifically exclude your grandmother in that situation from this study because she has a genetic anomaly and therefore should not be in this study. It would be a different scenario if the study was on people with that genetic anomaly, then she would be included and therefore you'd have more of a case. But maybe she doesn't have a genetic anomaly. Maybe she uh, died and she heard that she was having a heart attack. She heard that uh, bananas help with heart health, so she started eating a banana to try to fight off this heart attack, this minor heart attack that she was having. And then she ended up dying, and the EM, the paramedics found her with a banana near her. You know, it's I'm just coming up with these like convoluted scenarios, or uh, she would consume bananas, sure, but she would have them in smoothie form with. 50 grams of added sugar and add peanut butter and add all this other stuff. So can we really then blame bananas? No, we can't. Or, I mean, the, the, the point is that the, the number of things that could be confounding the scenario, breaking the tie of this experience to the actual study results are just astronomically high. That's where studies try to control for all these scenarios. That's why they exclude particular people uh, because of genetic anomalies or uh, if they're hypertensive and they're specifically looking at normotensive individuals, people without blood, high blood pressure, things like that. You have, to apply, you have to consider all those things and researchers do consider all those things. And even with all those considerations, they can't consider everything. So of course, this is the second point, there's going to be variability. That's, that's why human beings, yes, human beings are different. And this is, I wrote this down. People love to say, we are all different. Yes, we are all different. I completely agree with you. But we are all different is not a suitable argument against data. Because data takes into consideration the fact that we are all different. Now, again... If you belong to the exclusionary criteria of you have a genetic anomaly, then this you're you're getting information from a study that doesn't even apply to you. So of course, of course, you, you saying this doesn't apply, this isn't true because it doesn't apply to my situation. That's the point. <laughs> That's what the study is saying. Leave, go to a different study that investigates your situation. Don't try to, to, uh, to tarnish this study when they are specifically not looking at your situation. Okay, so that's, that's an aspect that, that I think a lot of people just don't understand. 
and then applying context to these situations is just incredibly important. And then the, the other thing is that there's variability. So even if you fit the criteria, let's say in every way you fit the criteria of the study, then, and that's why when I release the study notes and stuff, I put the details of the participants so that you know their age, you know the, the sex, like the, 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 um, the percentage, let's say it's 40% men, 60% women. It's slightly skewed towards women, for example. I put, uh, I should really start putting ethnicity. That's, that may be important. Um, looking at, I mean, really just anything, like a- anything that you can think. Are they healthy? Are they overweight? Things like that. Um, so let's, but let's say that this situation, everything applies to the, like your grandmother was healthy, everything was uh, 76 years old, something like that. And this study population is in their 70s, healthy, all everything, crossover is perfect. Even in that scenario, looking at the study results, it's not like everybody is going to be the exact same for yes, everybody's different. You're going to have some people that let's say let's go back to our banana example where people will consume a certain number of bananas and their heart health whatever metric you end up using which obviously obviously heart health is just such a generic term you would need to look at like blood pressure or you need to look at like vasodilation or you know something related to heart an actual metric to look at so their heart health would suddenly increase okay so so for some people, they eat bananas and they see this huge increase in their heart, heart health, a betterment in their heart health. Okay, well, that's the same situation. That's the same exact situation, but in a positive light. So you don't hear people suddenly say, that study isn't true because I got an even better benefit. You, you, rarely, hear, you rarely hear people say that. Because they don't think like that. They only think, is this true generally to me? And if they end up seeing that, oh, that my grandmother died and she ate bananas, then they immediately then assume that the study is wrong. They're, They're looking at only from the negative perspective. But the point is that the variability in the study corresponds to all kinds of people again, assuming that they fit the, 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 the criteria of the study, the, the, yeah, the general criteria of the study. So you have some people that, that get this amazing and above average benefit from bananas. Then you get the majority of people that will, be, that will kind of fall in this kind of tighter range that falls around the average where if you were to take all of the data points, all 100 people of this study, and average all their their uh, changes in, in heart health, some people getting a massive benefit, most of the people getting maybe a slight benefit, and then some people getting a worsening of their heart health, if you were to average all those numbers together, that would come out to one number. And yes, it's reductive in that it doesn't take into consideration, it doesn't show you the difference between all these individuals 
But that's where you have to get deeper into statistics and start looking at things like standard deviation or standard error of the mean, uh, things like that, specifically standard deviation in this situation, so that you can tell how the variability is. If generally people congregate, like their individual data points congregate around the average, and you don't have a whole lot of variability, you can feel pretty confident that most people will fall around that average because it's a representation of the population. But if you have some people that are way up and some people that are way down, standard deviation is suddenly going to increase substantially. So the certainty, so some people will then truly not get a benefit from bananas, but by and large, overall, the effect is that yes, bananas help with heart health. I hope that I'm getting that across. I, so that means that if you were to consume bananas, then the, the most likely you would see a benefit to your heart health. And it, you, But you may also be one of those very rare individuals, and let's say two people saw worse effects from eating bananas. You may be one of those rare individuals that see a negative effect of consuming bananas for your heart health. And that could be because of all kinds of things. Maybe you didn't follow the study protocol accurately enough. Maybe uh, you had some other confounding variable that came into the mix that the researchers couldn't account for. Uh, maybe there's something unknown. Maybe there's a genetic predisposition that you weren't aware that the researchers didn't test for. There's all kinds of reasons that bananas could then suddenly be a negative effect on your health. But that then doesn't mean that you can take your situation and then apply it to the overall average and say that then everyone else will also not get a benefit from bananas. Is that clear? I hope that's clear. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the people that get a huge benefit from bananas, they just emphatically say, oh, this study is so right. When in reality, the, 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 the ferocity of their emotions is the exact same that other people experience on a negative light. But with the negative light, there's this longstanding effect of now I doubt studies because they aren't accurate because they they were wrong about this scenario. It's like, but no, it's because you didn't understand. You don't understand studies. You don't understand how to think about these studies. That's what's really happening. <laughs> oh man, I love this stuff. I really love this stuff. I really, to this day, I still think that is the most important video that I've ever released. Uh, I have this episode, this lengthy episode on hormones and calories. And I know I mentioned that was to date the most important podcast episode up to that point. Um, and that is true. But in terms of my overall most important video, you got to watch that. That is, and I may end up revamping it so that I can like just get the words just exactly right. So that I make sure that I, I explain things just exactly right. Uh, because it's it's so frustrating getting comments of like, this isn't true. Uh, 
you know, I didn't experience this. It's like, yeah, God, I, I can't, I, I can't, I don't have the energy. I don't have the time to sit there and, and like walk a person through that thought process. Uh, and I really wish I did. I really wish I could. And I wish that some people were open to it. Um, so anyway, I may end up revamping that video, but anyway, I saw a few comments like that and, uh, I, it just triggered this thought again in my head, uh, that I, I, I wanted to kind of expound on, on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> that was a lot. I don't know. I don't know how long this has been going on. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me. I'm assuming it's been close to an hour. Um, but again, that's, you know, that's kind of how I wanted this to be. All right. So next we will actually talk about, uh, plastics and phthalates and their effect on health and insulin resistance and all that good stuff. But first coffee. Okay. All right. Here we go. So I covered uh, three studies. I actually read four studies. One of them was just so crap that I just ended up not even reporting on it because it was just, I would use strong words. It was just bad, really bad. Um, and it just would have, uh, it, it followed the same train of thought as the other studies. It wasn't like it was a dissenting opinion, but it was just so, so badly done that I was just like, forget this. I'm not even going to include this. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about it real quick. It was, it was like a combination. They had these animals that they ended up, uh, inducing not, not only, uh, they ended up inducing type one diabetes on these animals and then had a bunch of metrics for type two diabetes or something along those lines. It was a, been a while since I read it. And, uh, and then they applied these like just strange conditions to these animals. And I was like, what a waste of resources. This is just like all over the place. It's like you guys didn't think this through whatsoever. So I was just, I, I ended up just throwing it out. Um, which is not something I typically do. Once I read a study, usually I end up doing some sort of commentary on it just uh, just for, I don't know, honesty's sake or something along those lines. Um, but anyway, so I ended up covering three studies, and one of them was a correlational study, so uh, I think I put it as study number 50. And this study was really simple. They just looked at a database from the NHANES, which is the um, survey data along with biomedical data that they collect on thousands of people uh, in the United States. And they ended up measuring the amount of phthalates that were, so phthalates, I suppose I should explain that phthalates are, I'm not, you know, this is not my area of expertise. So it's not like I can tell you uh, phthalates are used for all these different reasons. I mean, I'm going to tell you that, but there may be some parts that may be off. So my understanding is that phthalates are a chemical compound. Don't let the word chemical scare you. Uh, fats are chemicals, just as an example. A chemical compound 
that, which may be redundant, but let's move past that, a chemical that is used in plastics to, to I think, either to harden them or to, either to, to make them more uh, am- amenable, like where they can actually change their shape a little bit more easily, but uh, are still hardened enough to actually retain their shape, something along those lines. But phthalates are actually found in all kinds of things. So they're, they're used in shampoos, they're used in the plastics that we uh, wrap our food in, that for the um, uh, processed foods, you know, for microwaving and stuff like that, they're found in those plastics. They're found in linoleum flooring. They're found in the pipes, uh, in certain pipes. Uh, they're used in, I mean, just they're just so ubiquitous. They're used all over the place. And there, there are a number of different types of phthalates, but it's when I say phthalates, it's almost universal, at least from my research up to this point, that it's almost universal, all phthalates. If, they, if it ends with the word phthalate, if it's like bio-deoxy-phthalate, it's probably uh, going to follow this, uh, this train of thought that, that uh, I'm going to explain to you. Uh, so... Yeah, so this study ended up looking at uh, urinary samples from thousands of individuals, and they found that there was a correlation between the amount of phthalates in the urine and a direct correlation with increasing insulin resistance. Okay, so that was that's obviously sp- suspicious. Like, all right, what's going on here? Uh, but that, as you've likely heard many many times before is that correlation is not causation i feel like people just say that as if it's like almost instinct maybe you're you haven't been around enough like science podcasts or or (laughs) science videos like I, i feel like people say that almost as if they're like i understand statistics or i understand science so i'll just quick throw this out here correlation isn't causation (laughs) <laughs> and they're right to do that. They they're absolutely right to do that. Um and I do it too. So I'll call myself out. Um so yeah, so it was just a correlation, but you know, the the idea behind that was one it was a study done by Shauna Swan, I think, Dr. Shauna Swan, I think that's her name. And she was on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, and that's actually where I get this idea to, to cover this because I, I hadn't heard anything about this. And she covers way more on phthalates than, than I did. I, I just focused on insulin resistance. Don't get me wrong, I'm going to be covering a lot more. I'm going to be covering the hormonal aspects and you know whatever else I can cover on the topic. But this will be enough. I think this will be enough to, to potentially, well, hopefully to... to, to change your way of of going about uh, your daily life. And this is a situation where I am not a quote-unquote hypocrite. I actually did change several things, and I'll discuss what I've changed uh, in my life to, to, to avoid phthalates. But first, should we avoid phthalates? <laughs> Let's be real. I'm not doing this whole thing just to say, nope, they're all good. Uh, okay, so correlation, urinary concentration in thousands of people, higher phthalate levels, higher insulin resistance, just a correlation. Could be something else, could be something else that also increases that could be causing the uh, insulin resistance. 
All right, fair enough. But then, obviously, we can't do studies where we're just like, hey, this is potentially really harmful. Uh, would, like, 50 of you guys, like, people be okay with, like, injecting this in, into yourselves for, like, eight weeks? Just, like, see what happens? Uh, even, I think that even if people said yes, we've got these, what are called, internal review boards at universities, uh, except for the damn pharmaceutical industry, um, at universities, they're going to say that internal re review board is going to be like, no, this is un unethical and therefore you can't do it. Um, so we don't do that. Uh, so we can't do that. So we have to rely on animal studies. And this is where I could go on a complete rant about just how absolutely idiotic I think people are when it comes to like, situations where like well it's animal studies so you know this is pointless like you have you have no shred of an idea of of what you're talking about because there's so much science that we have to rely on animal studies which actually I'll speak to that real quick because I did re receive a really great comment from someone I, I I apologize I can't remember your name uh, it could have been Darren maybe uh or Mark, I don't know. Uh, but they mentioned that, well, why, if that's the case, right, couldn't we then remove phthalates from one group of individuals and then keep one group of individuals on their usual uh, nutrition or just like their usual day-to-day -day habits? And I think that's a pretty good idea. I like that idea. Because then you would see this drop in insulin resistance and you would have a stronger case uh, that this also applies to humans. I think one of the problems with that is that you removing phthalates is, is going to be a widespread process because they are so ubiquitous. You have to remove them from so many different things and then those individuals still have to go about their daily lives. So it's not like you're going to be removing it so much so that like they're not going to be in this massively controlled environment for the next eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever, where they just stay in the lab and everything is controlled, what they eat, what they touch, like all this stuff like that. That would be an absurd level of control. And while it is technically possible uh, that would cost so much money, uh, and the return on investment would be, it might give you an answer. It might give you a pretty definite, a definitive answer, but I don't think that anybody's going to shell out millions and millions and millions of dollars to do one study where animal studies can at least approximate what the answer truly is. So, I really like the thought process there and I really enjoyed the fact that somebody offered a solution that, that I thought was really intelligent and really th well thought out. But in a practical application, I don't think that anybody would actually take that on um, because of the cost and the manpower and the fact that, keep in mind that that money could go somewhere else as well. Um, so. One of the problems, obviously, with, uh, with, with science is that we don't have unlimited amounts of money, even though it sometimes feel that, feels that way. 
uh, with the grants that we get. So anyway, they ended up doing animal studies to see, well, if can we cause insulin resistance by just like keeping everything else the same and just applying phthalates? So I found two studies and ended up analyzing both of those. And one of them was in mice, one of them was in rats. And they used uh, really high concentrations of phthalates. It went from one milligram per kilogram of body weight to 10 milligrams to 100 milligrams. Look, I don't know how much of phthalates we get exposed to, but even I know one milligram doesn't seem like much, but one milligram per kilogram is seems like a lot. Uh, so do I actually think that we get exposed to, let's say, 100 milligrams or even 10 milligrams per kilogram of body weight? No, I don't. I really don't. So the results were resoundingly they, uh, negative, obviously, for, for phthalates. So phthalates increase reactive oxygen species. They increase blood sugar levels. They reduce glycogen content and reduce glucose uptake, so blood sugar uptake. They reduce the insulin receptor uh, amount. So the way it works is, uh, and James, I'm thinking of you, as I explain this, uh, for anybody that can't watch my videos. So your cells, mm, what can I liken your, your cells to? A bag, a bag with water in it. Let me adjust real quick. Let me have some more coffee. Okay. Your cells are your cells are like bags of water. And think of it like a clear bag of water. It's obviously that there's this um, this container that 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 you know it's a bag. It's like a balloon. Um, but think of it as not fully, uh, filled up with water. It's just partially. So it's still has some flexibility in the membrane of, of the balloon, right? So, um, and in that membrane, so there's a separation. So the cell membrane is the actual balloon itself and inside is the water. So the cytoplasm and in that membrane, you have a bunch of proteins, one of those proteins is called the insulin receptor. So when your pancreas releases insulin, that insulin then floats through your bloodstream and it will then eventually be dumped at this cell that we're interested in. So this cell, the insulin uh, molecule, so a protein, a molecule, same thing, will bind to the insulin receptor that is found on this balloon on this cell and it won't actually enter the cell what it will do is it will when it binds it's like think of uh think of your hand before you're about to catch a baseball when you you've got the mitt on you've you've got your hand open because you're you're waiting to receive the ball the ball is in the air it's traveling towards your hand and but it's open. So the physical motion of your hand is open. And when the ball hits your hand, you can't just leave it open, right? Otherwise, the ball is just going to fall out. So the ball hits your hand, the mitt, 
and you have to close it. You have to close your hand. So that that's what's called a conformational change. The same thing happens with the insulin receptor. The insulin is away and it comes closer and then it interacts with the insulin receptor, which is open. And once it interacts, it closes or it kind of, yes, it closes. It changes its conformation. It changes its shape. So when it changes its shape, it doesn't just change the shape outside of the cell. So outside of the balloon. So it's integrated into the, the cell membrane. So part of the, the insulin receptor is on the inside of the cell membrane and part of it is on the outside. So the insulin binds to the outside section of that insulin receptor. And then the inside will also change as the insulin receptor closes on that insulin molecule. So that inside change is a trigger to, for all these molecules, all these other proteins to then recognize, oh, this has changed. So in a biochemical sense, they recognize it. And then now they can also fit onto a particular section of that insulin receptor. And then another molecule will recognize the change to that. And then so on and so forth. That's why it's called a cascade. Not the musical artist. And then from there, you have all these changes. You have changes to uh, IRS, which is the first protein. You have changes to AKT. You have changes to AS160. You have changes to GLUT4. You have changes to uh, all these different proteins. And ultimately, GLUT4, which is the final protein, will then move from the liquid section of the cell, the cytoplasm, will move and integrate into the cell wall or the actual balloon itself. And will then purposefully allow blood sugar from the outside of the balloon, outside of the, the cell, into the, into the cell, into the, the liquid. And then it goes through glycolysis and is then uh, used for energy, which we won't go into right now. So what happens with phthalates is somehow uh, the idea is, through reactive oxygen species, but likely there are other mechanisms as well that have been have not been detailed. So phthalates increase reactive oxygen species, which then reactive oxygen species, of course, do damage to the cell. They tear away uh, critical components of different molecules, different proteins, and will then also have effects on signaling proteins, so molecules that can be activated by reactive oxygen species. And some of these are stress proteins. Uh, some examples would be like JNK or the what's known as the MAP kinase pathway. There's a lot of different pathways. Honestly, if you look at cell pathways, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's, it's an insane amount of, of interconnectivity between different pathways. Um, so the point is that reactive oxygen species then activate these proteins that are within the cell, that are already within the cell. And then they will then either deactivate or activate other proteins. In this situation, what they would do is they would deactivate the insulin receptor so that even if insulin were to bind to the insulin receptor, think of the glove the, the ball hits the, the, the glove and you want to close it, but for some reason you, I don't know, let's say you're so cold that you can't close your, your hand. 
uh, that's what happens. So there's a tag or some sort of action that occurs on the inside of the insulin receptor that stops the insulin receptor from actually changing its shape, its conformation. And that's what seems to happen with phthalates. So we see, and we also see reduced levels of the insulin receptor itself. So as in less of the insulin receptor is being expressed. Uh, and as I mentioned, all these different proteins are affected. Now, the other study did the exact same thing, but instead of looking at rats, looked at mice. And here they looked at adipocytes and hepatocytes. So they were looking at fat cells and liver cells. And they found very similar results. However, what they did find that was unique was that adipocytes seem to be more affected by the lower concentrations of phthalates. It wasn't until you got to the higher concentrations of phthalates that you saw these effects in the liver cells as well. So what this tells me is, you know, if this translates to humans, uh, then that would mean that you know, maybe certain tissues are more affected by lower levels of phthalate exposure and other tissues are maybe not as affected by low levels of phthalate exposure, but at least we can only say that at this particular time point. So maybe if you expose yourself for 10 years or 20 years, that's a totally different story. It may actually start affecting all these other tissues like your liver, your brain, you know, whatever it might be, whatever tissues fall under that more robust protection against phthalates, as in they don't have these negative effects at low concentrations. Um, so that's possible. Or maybe low phthalate levels don't affect these tissues. That's also a possibility. You know, the, the, the you know, this is where it, there are a number of different possibilities. But the point is that for sure the adipocytes, the fat cells, for sure do experience a negative effect uh, in this model. And then the, the rat study also looked at vitamins, so the consumption of vitamins to uh, mitigate a lot of these effects. And they found that they were able to recover some of the, the negative effects. So some of the negative effects were reversed by the consumption of vitamins. Now, one of the problems that I pointed out was that the vitamin consumption was really high. So they use vitamin C and they use vitamin E. Vitamin C, they, I think it equated to like eight grams or something. Like, and this is in the rats. So this is an eight grams total. This is the eight grams in just the rats. Um, so, or something like that. So it was super high. Um, now, vitamin C, of course, can be pretty well tolerated if you consume it at pretty high amounts. But the other one, vitamin E, is not tolerated well at high amounts. So the consumption of vitamin E, I forgot the exact calculations. I, I put it in my, my series video. So if you want to check that out, you can look at the graphics and all that stuff. But that ended up being, you know, something extremely high as well. And if you continuously consume vitamin E, you're going to have other problems. Uh, I should correct that. Vitamin E at that concentration, you're going to have some serious problems. So it wasn't, it's not exactly a long-term solution, but the point that it was trying to get across is that these antioxidants that would neutralize these reactive oxygen species at least partially reverse some of the effects. So it's possible that, you know, something to consider is that it's possible that even with our exposure to phthalates, if you have a generally good nutrition, 
that or generally good habits and whatnot that you may be able to mitigate a lot of these effects just by nature of your good habits uh, even when you're exposed to these negative uh, chemicals and again I will say of course that the amount that we're exposed to even though it is ubiquitous is uh, it's it's tough to say how much of an effect that really is having uh, and I'll, I'll say this and I think I said this in the video as well and I'll say this in my study analysis as well that just because we're exposed to phthalates it's not like phthalates are the reason for insulin resistance like they they're the only reason here we are we have our answer now let's move on we if you just remove phthalates you'll you'll fix your diabetes or you'll fix your uh, pre-diabetes or insulin resistance as a whole that's not what I'm saying I'm saying that this is a contributing factor it may be just a 1% contributing factor like that it may be that small uh, but no matter what like who wants to sit there and be and say oh well I mean I guess I'll still consume this even though it's actively detrimental to my health and of course I'm extrapolating from animal studies for the reasons that I mentioned earlier so you know, you have to choose if you believe that. Uh, I tend to, it's two things for me. One is I don't think we're going to get human studies on this. Uh, so I do think, so my interpretation is that, yes, most likely this does affect our health. Uh, two, I don't think that it's a major contributor to insulin resistance, even though it is a contributor to insulin resistance. And three, the habits to change to, to, to avoid phthalates are super easy, like super easy. I, I've changed I've, almost nothing. And it's, it's been just like the simplest process to do so, which I'll get into in just a second. But another positive aspect is that phthalates only stick around in our system for a couple hours. I think it was like definitely less than 24 hours so if you remove phthalates from your system they're gone like they they are in and out very quickly the turnover is extremely quick so you know simple changes can make a dramatic can make a dramatic difference on phthalates i don't know if you're going to actually feel it uh, but it will make a difference on your phthalate level so if you were to measure your phthalate levels now and then assuming you have a pretty unhealthy lifestyle of like consuming a lot of plastics and stuff. And then you end up eliminating all those plastics or a lot of those plastics and then measure your, your urinary system or your bloodstream, let's say three days later, the idea is you would see a, a pretty dramatic drop. Uh, so that's, that's the assuming that the number of phthalates that we're exposed to is, is sufficient. So what have I done? What have I done to eliminate this or to, to reduce my phthalate levels? So one thing is that I use sunscreen every day. Uh, it's, it's honestly one of the best things that you can do for your health. Uh, and it is absolutely, probably, I would say it's the number one thing. I, I, think, I think I would definitely stand by that. It's the number one thing you can do to avoid aging. Uh, well, avoid, you know, as in re reduce aging. Uh, I'm 64. And <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so I've, I've been using sunscreen for a number of years now. Uh, and I mean, I, it's, I can't sit here and say, well, look at, look at me in an alternate universe where I didn't use sunscreen and look how different I look. Obviously I can't do that, but it's, it's been a religious practice for me to be, to be using sunscreen. I use it on my arms. I use it on my face. I use it on my neck. I use it everywhere, everywhere where it's exposed. I use sunscreen. I use high SPF sunscreen. I make sure, and I was using an SPF just 15, like a really like low SPF, which was enough, but I wanted to, to use a stronger one. And then once I read this data on phthalates, I looked at my sunscreen and sure enough, that stuff was, had like three different types of phthalates in it. So I was like, oh, I'm done. Like I, I'm no longer using that. It was, it was a shame because it was cheap and you know, maybe, maybe I'm getting what, what I deserve. But uh, I was using this cheap sunscreen and by Avino, if you're, if you're interested, uh, I, don't, I don't think all of them have, have phthalates or anything. Um, but that's the one I was using. And now I'm using, oh man, you know what? Hold on, I'll be right back. Okay, I had to quick grab them. I didn't plan on grabbing them and all that stuff. So the one that I was using was Avino, uh, broad spectrum SPF 15, uh, which did have parabens and phthalates. Yeah, sodium 2,6-diethyl-exyl 2,6-sodium phthalate is in this one. So I stopped using this and I switched to Avino. Now I'm, <laughs> but I'm not kidding. Actually, I, I did uh, go to Avino. Obviously you can see the size difference. Uh, if you're, if you're watching, it's um, the, the one I was using was 12 fluid ounces, 354 milliliters. And what I'm using now is two fluid ounces at 60 milliliters, quite the downgrade in terms of the amount. But the one I was using before is SPF 15 and this one is SPF 60. Uh, not that you absolutely have to go that high, but, um, and this one does not have, uh, you have to look at the, the inactive ingredients as well. And it does not uh, have phthalates from what I've been able to tell. So this one, Avino uh, SPF 60, uh, protect and hydrate. That's really all that it says on there. So, um, I, you know, I obviously, I almost don't even need to say that, but I'm not sponsored by Avino, clearly. Um, and if I find a better one, then I'll, I'll use that one. I use a different one to put on my arms and stuff because I would just bl just absolutely blast through that tiny two-ounce bottle. Um, so that's something that I've changed. I've changed to a non-phthalate... Uh, a non-phthalate uh, sunscreen 
And another thing that I've done is obviously less processed foods. I don't eat that many processed foods in general, but uh, now I make sure that I don't heat anything in plastic. So if it's got any sort of plastic wrapping on it, uh, I make sure that I take it out of the plastic wrapping because it will increase the leaching of the phthalates that may be in the plastic into the food. So that's something to consider. Um, what else? One more thing. Uh, metal water, water bottle. Right here. So I was using a plastic water bottle for, a, well, honestly, not that long. Uh, but I was using a plastic water bottle and now I use a metal one. Um, there's probably a little bit of plastic on here still, but for the most part, it's, uh, it's all metal. So I've been using this, uh, I will say one drawback of using metal, which I don't think I experienced with plastic is that the growth of bacteria in these suckers is so fast. I don't know if people actually pay attention and it probably doesn't actually affect your health, but <laughs> I've been, I've been really blown away. I know this from the lab that uh, bacteria can grow very quickly, but something, something, maybe it's not even bacteria, but something grows in this in probably like 24 to 36 hours if I don't dry it. As in, like, uh, I'll drink this whole water bottle, which is 40 ounces. And the moment I'm done, I had better just turn it upside down and put it in, in the kitchen, turn it upside down, and have it be draining, the like, evaporate the rest of the water. Because if I don't do that, and if I, if I have a little bit of water in here, and especially on a, on a warm day, when I look inside, there's definitely start, things starting to grow, and it's 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 super quick, and it's really annoying. So I end up having to I end up washing this or cleaning it uh, by hand multiple times. Um, you know, almost every day or every two days, I, I clean this thing. But uh, in terms of water, it's you know it's great, obviously, and it, you know these are cheap. It's not like I'm I'm. It's not like this is a special brand or anything like that. So those are three things. There may be a few other things that I've, I've been doing to, to avoid phthalates. I think clothes is another area where phthalates may be present. I have not bothered to, to look into that. I have enough difficulty trying to find clothes that fit me. Uh, I, I have to use an athletic style, and there are very few clothing brands that actually have athletic style. So, uh, you know, I'm doing what I can within the limitations of, of my laziness. <laughs> Okay, folks, I look, if you, um, if you want to support me, if you want to support my work, uh, and you want more content, like not just support me, but you actually want more content from me that is more applicable, like things, and maybe we can have more one-on-one -on -one conversations and stuff like that, or like in a small group, then please hop on over to the Physionic Insiders. Uh, like I said at the beginning, this is not going to change. I'm not going to suddenly have this disappear. I, I, I'm really trying to make an active effort to one, uh, to be completely honest, make a little bit more money because I make all, just about nothing. Um, and that's cool. Like I, I love what I do. I love the fact that I get to present research. Um, it's fantastic. But on the other hand, 
I'm also trying to grow Physionic and I'm trying to like eventually hire an editor or hire more people to do this kind of stuff. I have a big dream. I have a big goal when it comes to Physionic. And I, I just think that I'm filling a void that nobody else is, is filling that void. And I want to grow Physionic into something that's really incredibly helpful to the public. But obviously I can't do that with, uh, well, no finances whatsoever. And I also don't want to give up control over Physionic by having some sort of person come in with where they do financial backing, but then I lose some control over how things are run and things like that. So that's off the table for me. So, uh, so yeah, I, I need people that are interested in more valuable content, uh, I create guides, I create exclusive content, I create all kinds of stuff, early podcast episodes, ad-free podcast episodes. I do a bunch of other stuff in the Physionic Insights, plus it's a community. So I have Discord channels where people can talk with one another, where we can all talk together, where we can discuss science and things like that. So uh, if you're interested in that, um, and certainly don't feel pressured, then just hop on over to the Physionic Insiders. It's uh, right now it's on Patreon. I don't know if eventually it'll move, but for, for the time being, for probably a long time being, it's going to be on Patreon. So uh, if you're interested, check that out. And uh, I hope that this kind of podcast format works for you. Uh, it's not quick. It's not at all quick. Uh, but I think that it's freeing to me because I can let my mind ramble. I may honestly forget some of the things that I I started saying at one point because my mind just takes me all these different places. Uh, but I need something like that. And I hope that it, it ends up being enjoyable for you as well. Um, and if it is, then let me know as well. That'd be great. Um, and if not, if you hate it, if I see a bunch of comments saying, uh, Nick, I don't really like this that much, then cool, I will stop. Uh, or maybe I'll just do it for myself and, uh, and I'll think of something else. I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. That's another expression that I don't understand at all. I should probably look these up. All right. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for spending some time with me and until next time. Bye.